This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 189. And I've got two good podcasts coming up. Not to say that this is not a good podcast on its own merit, but the next two are going to be kind of exciting and different and good, at least from what I can see. The first one being next week, which is an accusations podcast. And as I mentioned, leading up to every 10th episode, these are the podcasts in which I interact with listener and reader feedback. And so send me some emails or questions or interactions, and I'm happy to talk about those on the podcast. I have a couple of really good emails that I already have in queue. Uh, so I uh, probably only have time and space for maybe one or two more. But I, I have said before, I take good over first. So if you have the best question, that means you probably get on there. But of course, uh, anybody who sends in any sort of uh, contact at all, I'm happy to interact with. Uh, But uh, three or four of them usually make the podcast every 10 episodes. Secondly, I'm going to have some on-site, from the ground podcasting here in the next few weeks, doing some traveling down to Virginia, which is the natal land of my fly fishing. And so I'm excited about getting down there, hopefully fishing a little bit, but also I have a couple of cool podcast topics that I will be exploring at that point. But today I'm going to talk about travel, specifically fly fishing and travel, fly fishing, tourism, incorporating fly fishing into your traveling plan. First thing I'm going to talk about is kind of how to think about incorporating fly fishing into your travel. Secondly, I'm going to talk about gear that is essential to have if this is something you're going to do. So what do I mean by this? Now, of course, we all know what it looks like and what it entails to have a week-long fly fishing trip, to get on the airplane with all of your gear in tow, land there at the cabin on the stream side, and just go after it hard for a week. And although those trips are great, 
for me, in my season of life, they're kind of few and far between. Four kids, a pretty rigorous job, and just not a lot of spare opportunity, whether it be time or resources, to make something like that happen. So that's not the kind of fly fishing trip I'm talking about. Those kind of trips for me are usually the overnighter or the long weekend. But I get to go on lots of trips. I get to travel. I'm very blessed because of family activities that we have planned, of being in New England and being kind of a few hours from everywhere, and also because I have family in a couple of different places in the country. I'm able to travel. But those trips are not fly fishing exclusive trips. But that doesn't mean I can't fish while I'm doing them. doesn't mean I can't fish while I'm going somewhere. So I'll give you a great example. In a couple of days, I'm heading down to Virginia, uh, the county that I kind of grew up in, uh, that my wife and I met each other. Uh, her parents are selling their house. And so this is kind of our last hurrah in this county. I have written about fly fishing in Loudoun uh, and the surrounding counties ad nauseum on the website. I'm sure that as we are taking kind of our last trip to stay there um, after goodness, 25 years of being in that area, uh, I'm sure I'll have more fly fishing content that kind of runs adjacent to some of the thoughts, feelings, and experiences that I'll be processing in these coming weeks. But we're going down there not for a fly fishing trip, but it's remarkable. Uh, just in the last week, my kids have asked, can we go fly fishing at these particular ponds that they have, uh, they've, they've been fishing at before and they want to. Uh, I had a friend email me and say, hey, I'm back in town. Would you want to go fly fishing? One while you're in town. And then also, there's a couple places that I just want to fish one more time. And they're the kind of places that wouldn't justify a trip to go fly fishing there. Uh, they're, they're good. They're fun. I really love them. I have a lot of affinity towards them. But they're not the kind of place where I would go and say, I'm going to go fishing here. They're not destination waters. So those three things are in the back of my mind. Now, over the course of the two weeks that I'm going to be there, does that mean that I'm going to get all three of those things in? Probably not. I'll have to prioritize and or smush things into the margins, which is really the key to fly fishing in these kinds of settings. So whether it be a family vacation, whether it be a business trip, whether it be a layover, no matter what it might be, there's opportunities and ways that you can fit fly fishing into that kind of travel. So if you were to look back in the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast archives, you'd notice that I have probably 7, 8, 9, 10 uh, podcast episodes that are why you should fish. And they're different places. There's the Shenandoah, there's the Ozarks, there's Rocky Mountain National Park, Maine, uh, the Delaware River System. There's a, a, a lot of them out there. And every one of those places, I've had vacations or trips that were not fly fishing focused. Some are, and some of some of those fly fishing focused trips came on the heels of family trips to that spot. So the Driftless in Wisconsin, for example, we went there just because it was outside of Chicago. We'd spent some time in Chicago. We're going to spend some time somewhere rural, somewhere just that we could take it easy. And it turned out to be in a fantastic fly fishing spot. Um, for, for every one of those, why you should fish and then you know insert destination here, they're the kind of places that you might be going for business. So say New York or Chicago or even the greater DC area, or it could be a part of the country where you have family and you can find ways to fit fly fishing into those margins. So one of the things I'm, I'm going to be doing is I'm taking a class and these classes, they're about nine hours a day, Monday through Friday. 
but there's like an hour and a half lunch in the middle. And for me, it just drives me nuts. I want to get the class over with. I want to get on to the next thing. I don't have an hour and a half of just downtime in me. So what I've done is I've gone to this incredibly urban area, gotten on Google Maps and started scrolling around looking for any blue that I can find. And what my plan is, is to have a four weight in the back of the vehicle. And so as soon as the professor says, all right, we're, we're taking an hour and a half for lunch, I'm going to be eating my granola bar as I walk down the stairs, and that's my lunch, and then I'm going to be out walking stream banks. If I catch some sort of brook trout that has escaped all of the detrimental actions of developers and people for the last few hundred years, then I would be ecstatic. But if I catch a fallfish or a sunfish, I'm going to be pretty happy. And it's a way to fish somewhere new, fish somewhere different, maybe fish for a different fish, fish in a different environment, and just get some fishing in someplace. Now, you might say, you know what? Catching fall fish does not sound like my kind of fly fishing vacation. I'm thinking big trout. I'm thinking big bass. I'm thinking something exotic. Then that's great. And those are certainly things that you can do. You can find ways to shoehorn those kind of fishing activities into your family vacations, into your work trips. But there is a way to have fishing run adjacent or run parallel to what you are doing if you just get creative. And for me, as much as I want to catch a big fish, as one as much as I want to catch a unique fish, the idea of just catching fish and integrating that into where I am and what I'm doing is exciting for me. I'll give you another example. So craft beer, huge, been huge for the last few, you know, decades. There's people that wherever they travel, they go to find a brewery. Or if they go to a bar, they try to find what's local that's on tap. And it's a way to kind of get a sense of the place that you're in, to have a little bit of local flavor. Now, it might not be exciting. It might not be super remarkable. It might not be better than what you're used to, even just buying at your grocery store. But it is something that has that sense of place. There's a local feel. And even if it's just this little game in your head of kind of putting yourself in the shoes of the people that live there and their experience, there's a lot of value to that. Kind of corollary to that and something that I really enjoy, might not be your cup of tea, is the research that goes into it. You get to learn a lot of interesting tidbits about a local area once you start diving into what the angling opportunities might be. I spent a good half an hour, 45 minutes reading about some local watershed agencies, conservation projects, and what is effectively just a ditch that runs through an urban area. But it had a historic value. It has environmental benefits. There is a unique ecology for the area in this little tiny spring seep that runs underneath a couple of interstates and through people's backyards and through an industrial complex. And there's a big initiative that has been put in place to try to save this. And so I'm looking at it thinking, well, I wonder if there's fish in it. But, but even if there's not, I've just learned something really interesting that aligns with a lot of my interests and a lot of what I'm into. And so whether it be something that kind of gets into the weeds or the minutia like that, or it's something more significant, like learning about the angling history of an area that you're going to be visiting, finding out if there is a fly shop nearby, having those conversations, getting a little bit of that local flavor. Again, that brew might be nothing as good as what you're used to, but for there and that area, it is what's close to home. It is what is unique and special to them. So 
that's just a couple things to think about as it comes to fly fishing in in conjunction with something else that you're doing and be flexible set your your hopes for super high but your expectations for something much more modest and you're you're going to enjoy it and experience take the whole experience and it's that cup of coffee it's that drive it's the exploration it's maybe having a conversation with somebody who might have some local intel about fishing or about something completely different and if it's only an hour then that's an hour that's better spent than clicking on your phone or an hour that's better spent than just sitting around being grumpy that you're not fishing on a blue ribbon trout stream. So that would be kind of my how to get your head around it. Now, something I've talked about before is, is packing and fly fishing gear for these kind of experiences. But I really want to pare it down even tighter, even narrower for two reasons. One, you might not be able to go. So you don't want to spend too much time, energy, effort lugging around a bunch of gear that you're not going to use. You're not going to be bringing your waders. You're not going to be bringing four fly rods, right? Secondly, it might be that you are in and out. It might be a very surgically precise adventure in the sense that maybe it's an overnight work trip or you're just having to drive you know 100 miles to do something and turn around and come home or it could be that your family has many more priorities we bring our kids scooters and bikes when we go places because we want them to be able to explore and ride around and do all sorts of stuff so that means i can't have all of my fishing gear and say sorry kids you're going to just you know have to sit and watch me have fun you can't do the things that you want to do so it forces me to pare down what i need so a few things i think are really valuable one is make sure that you have a small fly rod and a small fly rod by that i don't mean like a two three weight that might be exactly what you need especially if you're just fishing for those fall fish right but i'm talking about a rod that is a four piece maybe even a six piece they don't make a lot of those anymore but i do have a recommendation at the end of the podcast for a rod i have not even touched let alone cast but i think it will fit the bill for a lot of people who are kind of doing what we're talking about here but have a rod that breaks down but also a rod that has a lot of diversity i think i've written before about how i have a five weight that is like the perfect trout fly rod for small rivers even though it's overkill for a lot of these tiny little mountain creeks it is sufficient enough where if i get into bigger water or i have to throw a streamer that i feel capable and competent and that i have a nine foot six weight that if i have to fish a bigger trout river it might be overkill if i'm fishing dry flies or smaller nymphs and i'm not going to have the same sort of delicate presentation that i would have fishing a four or a five weight but it gets all the jobs done and if i'm only going to have one fly rod that's going to be the fly rod that I carry. The same thing, there's an eight weight that I really enjoy if I'm going to fish for, for bass. It's going to it's gonna pull those little bass and sunfish right out of the water when it's at the hook, but for most fish, it's going to be great. So to have one rod that you can break down that is compact, that can fit in some sort of strap on the outside of your briefcase or suitcase or, or backpack, or you know you can stow it away in your van or under the, the uh, seat of your vehicle and just get it out of the way and it doesn't take up any space. Secondly, wet wading shoes. If you are fishing in a climate and a place where you can you can get away with wet wading, then do it. But if you're going to be walking around, you're not maybe going to be driving streamside. You might have to move a little bit to go where from your family is to where the water is, from where your hotel is to where the water is. Get some good wet wading shoes. I have talked about a lot my Astral TR1 mesh awesome shoes everything from astral is great that i've ever worn but there's lots of other companies out there that create water shoes you could even get away with wearing your chacos or your tevas or something like that 
But having a good pair of wet waiting shoes and wet waiting shoes that dry out quickly is clutch. I will say this. I was fishing on the flats and the keys on like a Friday afternoon in my Astral TR1 mesh shoes. And I had a flight I had to be on at like 9 a.m. the morning the next day. So they had only about an evening to dry out. And I took the, the insoles out. I put them just in the bathroom with the fan on and they were dry the next morning. That is really important because what that allowed me to do is I only had one pair of shoes that I, I wore. I had a pair of flip-flops and I had those. I'm not wearing flip-flops in the airport and the airplane. That's disgusting. So these shoes were able to work both on the water and in the, uh, in the airport. So a little fly rod or fly rod that can break down that you can multi-purpose, a pair of wading shoes that gives you a good variety of transportation when you're on foot are two things that I think are essential. The other thing that's great is I love being able to kind of curate a fly assortment for where I think I'm going. So if you picture in your mind a fly box, a small fly box, I like little kind of clamshell style fly boxes that are about the size of like an iPhone. Uh, they, there's the ones that are the woven nylon on the outside and foam on the inside. I really like those floating fly boxes because they don't weigh anything, right? So what I like to do when I'm going someplace new is I have my tried and true trout flies, for example. So I have my dries, my nymphs, my streamers that I, I will take anywhere in any time of year. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to be fishing beetles in the middle of the wintertime, but pretty much everything else is going to be something I'm going to turn to as a confidence fly. There's a couple of podcast episodes and uh, articles on the website, like my three favorite trout flies, my three next favorite trout flies, my three favorite bass flies, et cetera, et cetera. So check those out if you're kind of wanting to know more information about what I'm talking about. But what I like to have is when I'm going on a trip like this, one of those fly boxes where half of it is filled up with those flies. The other half, I either start tying in anticipation of that trip, or I, when I get where I'm going, I go to the fly shop and I fill up the other half. Now, very rarely do you find a fly that you're like, this is only going to work here. It's never going to work anywhere else. So it's not like you're wasting two, three, four dollars as you're buying one of these flies that's weird or quirky. You're going to bare minimum you're going to be able to use it for panfish, right? But more often than not, some trout is going to see this completely gaudy looking fly and they're going to be just as happy with that as they are as some perfect, you know, executed and perfectly tied presentation of uh, some sort of natural looking subtle fly. So that's my approach for bringing flies. Bring something from home, but also bring something that is local. And again, that kind of adds to the story, you know, storytelling that might seem like a really uh, hokey or cheesy way to talk about it, but figure out this fly. What's special about this fly? Who tied it? Why is it so important? Is it just a variation on a national theme or is it something unique to this area? And what that does is it doesn't only just build up all of the flies that you have in your possession that you're able to, you know, use at your disposal to catch fish. It also is, you know, giving you a greater awareness of how other people fish, how other people try to do what you do where you do it, only there. And now you're having a chance to do it there with them. So rod, wading shoes, flies, everything else, just keep it to a minimum. In some of my backpacking and running podcast episodes, I talk about how to minimize your gear. Uh, you know, you don't even need a sling pack. You don't even need a vest. Throw stuff in your pockets because you're not going on a fishing trip. You're fishing on a trip. Now, of course, if you do have an entire day that you get devoted to this, then yeah, bring more stuff. If you have more space, then bring more stuff. But I'm saying bare minimum, 
That's the kind of thing that you need to be thinking about. What is the least amount I can get away with? Because then too, if it doesn't materialize, if it doesn't shake out, you're not going to feel like you spent a lot of money or you spent a lot of time, energy, and effort to get there. You're, you're not going to be tailing off at the end of your class or your business trip or your family function because, you know, I was here for five days and tomorrow's day six and we're leaving and I haven't gotten to fish yet, so I'm really grumpy. That's not what you want. That's not the kind of mindset you have. That's not the point of fly fishing. So all said and done, if I were to summarize, I would say one, think creatively about how you can integrate fly fishing into your tourism, into your your trip. You know, if you can have an entire day afforded to doing it, then awesome. But if it needs to be that margin time, then take advantage of it and enjoy it for what it is. Don't despise an opportunity just because it's not a full-throated opportunity. Secondly, pack smart, pack light, pack only the essentials. That gives you an opportunity to focus on the experience more than focusing on your stuff. You can have your fully loaded vest and your four fly rods while you're fishing your local stream, but that's not the purpose of what you're doing when you're doing this kind of fly fishing. And thirdly, really enjoy the experience. Enjoy that local coffee shop on the way to the stream. Enjoy, you know, noticing the different flowers and the different wildlife and how the water smells a little bit different. All the things are the same with the streams that you fish at home and how this is a little bit different. Have conversations, whether it be stream side or at the fly shop, and really get to know and appreciate what you're doing. It really starts to open up that map of fly fishing in your head to how people do it elsewhere. And you might be able to take something, an experience that you have, something you notice from there, bring it back home or bring it to forward. Say, you know what, this is the kind of place where I want to go back to. I would really like to spend a couple days here. And it might not be that sexier dynamic, you know, in print or in media, but you had a great time there and you want to go back and explore and dive more into it. And that is what it is all about. This week on castingacross.com. The first article was called Father's Day Observed. Real short article. I used to do this a lot back in the early days of Casting Across where I really didn't write an article on holidays. Well, Father's Day is kind of a holiday, right? But I did that this time around. Very short, but just a few thoughts on Father's Day and what I get out of it and why I think it's worth celebrating, even though it's kind of a made-up holiday. So Father's Day Observed. I went uh, canoeing on Father's Day with my boys. It was a lot of fun. And then Wednesday's article was called Three Reasons to Pass on Glass. Three Reasons to Pass on Glass. Now, don't get me wrong. I love fiberglass fly rods. But something I'm going to be addressing next week in my accusations podcast was a spectacular question by somebody asking the, you know, if they should get X rod or Y rod because they're trying to get a, a new fly rod. And based on their information, the one of those rods being fiberglass was not going to be my suggestion because of where they're fishing and how long they've been fishing. So I'll talk about that more next week. But in this article, I give three reasons or situation circumstances that might make me steer you towards a graphite fly rod as opposed to a fiberglass fly rod. Now, one caveat with this. Contemporary fiberglass fly rods are much, much faster than what you could find 20 years ago and certainly 50 years ago. But that being said, that is still more of the exception. Uh, a lot of the fiberglass fly rods that are being made today are still being made with that slower action because that's what people want to have when they fish a fiberglass fly rod. So I talk about that a little bit about uh, what might steer you towards graphite over, uh, uh, over a fiberglass rod. But don't get me wrong, I love fiberglass fly rods. I'm going to be fishing one the next few weeks, uh, a new one, as well as doing a couple of other things about the goodness of fiberglass fly rods. But fiberglass, bamboo, graphite, each has their place, each has value, and 
I think all of them are worth fishing once you become a, a proficient caster and you know how and when to use each rod. This week's recommendation on the podcast is the Reddington Trailblazer. The Reddington Trailblazer. This is not a mid-size SUV. It is a fly rod that breaks down into six pieces. There's a five foot nine weight and a three excuse me, a seven foot three weight. Three foot seven weight would not be very effective. But these rods break down to six pieces, which means I mean they're they are they are going to fit in your computer bag. They're certainly going to fit in a, a briefcase or a a any piece of luggage. And if you have to strap them to the outside of something, backpack or or again like your your briefcase, they're not going to be so big. They're going to be whacking people as you walk down the aisle of the airplane, or they're going to be super inconvenient as you try to navigate uh, the hotel or whatever. Um, but the difference between a four-piece rod and a six-piece rod when it comes to its case and when it comes to its broken down size is significant. And the great thing about the Trailblazer rod, not only is it a good, easily accessible action as most of Reddington's rods are, but it's not crazy expensive. $250 for for the rod. Uh, back when I worked for a fly fishing company that made a six-piece rod, I think it was like six or $700. I know there's a couple of less expensive ones out there, but uh, I'm a big fan of Reddington stuff. So definitely check this out. Um, if you are a backpacker, if you are constantly traveling, or if you just want a rod that you can squirrel away, like literally in a glove box, but probably more reasonably under your car seat, consider this rod, the Trailblazer from Reddington. I will put a link to the Reddington Trailblazer page on the show notes for this podcast over at castingcross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.